I told you this this last week, that really our, our, our church was founded really on, on this passage in a way. I mean, it, 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 of course, is founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ, absolutely. What I, what I felt like was missing in the local church was, was the idea, the reality that when you and I come together and we see that we have a role and that we have a part to play in the church, that something happens, that something happens dramatically that makes us somehow become unified as a church. When we come together and we begin to serve and we, be, we begin to see what our gifting is, like something takes place and, and it, it causes us to be drawn together in unity in ways that we otherwise would not have experienced. As, I, as I've stated before and as I said last week, I want to repeat it again, that the, the problem with the American church is that we've gotten so good at inviting people to events. We've gotten so good at inviting people to come and watch and see that it's become like a spectator sport in many ways. And it's not your fault. It's, it's probably more my fault than anybody's. It's, it's that we come together and we say, I'm going to come like I'm going to a football game and I'm going to watch the professional uh, do something. And hopefully that professional will say something really smart, really catchy, and I'm going to remember it and it's going to make my marriage better. It's going to make my life better. It's going to make me trust God more, something like that. And I still hope that that happens for sure. But here's the thing. In, in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 10, it talks about how the manifold wisdom of God, how his incredible wisdom is displayed to our world, and it's through the local church. It's through the imperfection of this local church. It is, it is through God's people operating together. Now, I can't tell you uh, how foreign that seems to me sometimes. Because there sometimes is infighting, sometimes there's, there's egregious sin going on, sometimes there, there's stuff that, that is going on in here that doesn't even go on out there. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So why would God choose to do that? I don't know. But what I can tell you is this, is that that's this ethereal idea of bringing glory to God to reveal the manifold wisdom of God to our world through the local church. What does that look like on the ground? Okay, great, that sounds good. Like what, what difference does it make here on the ground? What, what should that look like? This passage explains, practically speaking, how we become a body of believers and give glory to God. It, it explains other things, like, like how does unity take place in the church. I mean, there's some things that we know that we shouldn't be doing. We shouldn't be gossiping, cheating, lying, whatever it is that keep us unified if we don't do those things, right? But there's some other things that we can do that encourage us towards unity, that encourage us towards knowledge of Jesus, that encourage us uh, towards uh, faithfulness, that encourage us towards all of these good things. And what is that? What does that look like? Well, Paul tells us right here, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, and he gave them for a purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, when I read this 15, and no, it was actually more than 15 years ago, probably closer to 20 years ago, 
and it first popped in my brain that like, man, God is doing something in his local church. I read it in the NAV, which says this, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What, what's that talking about? Well, first off, we gotta talk about these giftings. You've got this apostolic gifting, it says. Now, Paul mentions that first in a couple of places because of this. Because the apostles are men that are specifically called by Jesus to teach the word and to write scripture that they're specifically called by Jesus. And so today, we don't have apostles with a capital A. We have people with like an apostolic gifting, but one thing we don't do is we don't call uh, men in our church, or women for that matter, apostles. And because it is erroneous, it's wrong. So if you find yourself at a church someday and, you, and somebody says, this is apostle so-and-so, you should walk out immediately. Like that's, that's a big clue that you shouldn't do that because all of those guys are dead and, 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 and that's a problem. So there's apostles, there's prophets. These are, these are men who are teaching the truth. They, they see the word of God and they speak that into the context of the local church. It talks about evangelists. The evangelists are revealing the evangel. They're revealing the gospel. That, of course, is all of our responsibility. Uh, but these evangelists have a particular gifting in being able to communicate the gospel of Jesus. And when they speak the gospel, uh, men and women come to faith. They, they begin a relationship with Jesus for the first time. It's amazing. There's the shepherds, which are the pastors. These are people who are overseeing God, Jesus' church. And then there's the teachers. And it says there's these giftings. That's not all the giftings in the local church. That's just a handful of them. These are offices in the local church that are intended for this purpose. They are intended to equip the saints. They are to prepare God's people for works of service. Now, what does that mean? It means this. It means that you may have come because you, you're, there's a problem in your marriage. You're not getting along. Life is getting difficult. And you're just like, man, maybe what we need is we need some church. And so let's, 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 let's go to church. I heard about this new church. Meets in a barn. It's pretty cool. I'm, I'm going to go. That's, that's fantastic. Maybe you came because you have young kids and you're like, you know what? I want them to be moral uh, because I look outside and all I see is everything that is immoral and wrong with the world. And so I, I, I came because of that. You might, you might have come because, because someone invited you. you. There may be a litany of reasons why you came. But ultimately, where we want to lead you is to fulfill this passage. Because Jesus is the one who gave gifts to men. One commentator says this, that the gifts to men are this, you, that he gave to the church. You are God's gift to his church. That sounds almost terrible to say because, because it's, you know, you can be like, I'm God's gift to his local church. That, that sounds prideful. That sounds really prideful. That's, that's icky coming out of my mouth there for a second, but you are God's gift to the local church. You have a particular gifting, and you are one of those gifts. You are one of those roles. You have a responsibility. You have a role to play. You get to be a minister. 
You get, to, you get to participate in the local church. Now, this has been something that we have been all about from the very beginning. And we have many people in our church that have been brought up out of kind of nothing, in a sense, from being somebody who's really not engaged with the church to being somebody who's leading the church. Most of our elders are all men that were raised in this church, that were brought up. They saw themselves as ministers. They were trained to be ministers, and then they became elders. But that's not, I mean, the highest office in the church, in the local church is not the highest aim for everybody. That's just what their gifting is. We have so many different people in our local church. I think of uh, Desra Hitz, who's been with us uh, for some time. She, of course, was at another church before she came to ours. But Desiree has been like an amazing, amazing woman of God in this church. She has helped this church take off. I, I mean, at one point we were like, has anybody not been invited by Desiree? Like she invites everybody to church. Everybody, everybody knows Desiree. Like she, she's amazing. In Salem, we have a gal named Helena Jones. She went through our equip program and got on fire. And now she and her husband lead a community group. There's a, a, a gal named Holly Hawes who does counseling at our, at, in, in Salem. There's a gal named Sarah Doman. There's Katie Franken. There's Alex Blatchford. There's a gal named Alicia Forrester and another gal, Ashley Yetter, that lead a ministry together as well. These are all women who have done amazing things in our church because they saw themselves as ministers. I think of uh, Gray and Tara Newman who were with me way back in the day when Outward Church or Outward was just a college ministry. And they were both single and had crazy things going on in their life and all over the place in some ways. But little by little, they have grown and seen themselves as ministers and Gray leads worship, and his wife and, and he both lead community groups together, and they see themselves uh, as ministers. There's all kinds of people. Matt Baldwin, who was a pastor here, uh, got here in his early 20s, coming out of kind of a lifestyle of kind of craziness in college, and God got a hold of him, and he began to feel a call in his life to, to the point that he became an elder here, and then he went and took a church in, uh, up in Washington, and now he's handing that church off to another pastor. Um, there's Kurt and Stephanie Monty that have come to this church. And of course, they've been mature believers for many years. But Kurt and Steph have come alongside of this church and have really invested themselves here and have, have taken on uh, many different roles within the, the church. There's Jesse and Audrey. Um, Audrey, who was just reading scripture, who have done uh, amazing things. Jesse's on staff now, leading, uh, he leads community groups and he helps out and he helps make this whole thing happen. These are people that began to see themselves as ministers. Over and over and over again, there's so many different people that have seen themselves in this way and God is using them. And what, what I wanna tell you today is that that's still possible. That's, that's still what we want to be doing. Like, we have a vision of everybody seeing themselves as a minister someday. Everybody finally waking up to the reality of, you know what? I've been stuck. So, some of you have been Christians for most of your life. And I just want to ask you, do you feel like you're still growing? Do you feel like you're, you're making progress in your Christian life? It's okay if you, if you don't. We just don't want you to stay that way. 
Because the Christian life is one of, that's always evolving, that's always growing, but it can't grow without you first seeing yourself as a minister. When Jesus ascended, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And what, what does that mean? It means I become a disciple and then I go and make disciples. It's always been Jesus' plan that all of us would be disciple makers, that all of us would be equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And why is that? It's so that the body of Christ may be built up. This body of Christ, this local expression of the church will be built up as each of us understands our role here at the church. It will, it will be built up. Do you see what he says here? It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Like there's this amazing unity that happens in the church as each of us defines our role. I mean, we just went on this elder retreat just a, a few days ago. And one of the things that sticks out to me about our staff, about our elders, about our, our volunteer staff is the amount of unity that we have together. We love to hang out. We go camping together sometimes. We have parties together. We enjoy each other. We, we, we enjoy spending time together. There is an immense unity among people when they begin to serve together. I saw this as a young man, and I said, you know what? I bet you that could happen in a local church. I wonder if we could start a church and begin to communicate this and say, here's the, here's the deal. I know you feel like a failure. I know you feel like you don't have anything to offer. I know you feel like you're too busy. I know you feel like you just don't have the time for it. But here's the thing. If you began to see yourself as a minister of the gospel, no matter where you are, and you said, you know what? I want to get trained. I, I, I want to learn. I want to grow. I think there's immense possibilities for our church. Can you imagine what that would look like? Instead of us being the spectators, what if the whole world out there were the spectators? What if the real spectators are the ones who are at your workplace? And, and you begin to see yourself as a minister of the gospel and whatever facet that is, however your personality is voiced in, in who you are, what if you saw yourself as a minister of the gospel in your workplace? What if the, when you talk to someone and they asked you questions about God, like, why does he let those kinds of things happen? What, what, if, what if when you talk to someone and said, you know, what, what is the deal with Christianity and sexual ethics? What if you had an answer? What if somebody said, you know what? I have been trying and trying and trying all of my life. I've reached all my goals. I, I mean, I'm, I'm doing whatever it is that I was hoping I was going to do. Because maybe you're, you're farming a lot of acreage, right? Whatever, that, whatever works out here in Silverton, right? And they just go, I got the farm. I got the equipment, I got the wife, I got the husband, I got the stuff, and life just, something just isn't right. Something just isn't right. What would it be like for you to be able to say, hey, there's this, some scripture that I wanna share with you. 
There's some scripture that I want to share with you that basically shows that you can try and you can try and you can try. But money, sex, or power, although they are good gifts from God, they make terrible gods themselves. And you've tried to make money, and you've tried to make sex or success or power your God, and you got it and you've been found wanting. What if you could speak to that? Maybe you can, praise God for that. But the vast majority of the, of the Christian church can't. It just doesn't know how. What if you could? What would that be like in those situations with that friend that always has problems? What if you're the friend with the problems and you could tell yourself, right? What would that look like? You know what it might look like? It might look like people getting saved right and left. It might look like you hanging out with one of your family members and and just saying, hey, man, I know we've talked about this all the time. I know that this is kind of where you've been, but can I share with you the gospel? That says you you don't have to keep trying. All of your screw-ups and all of the stuff and all of your brokenness was was dealt with on the cross. It was dealt with by Jesus. And they said, you know what? That sounds pretty good. It would look like people come into faith. I mean, do you believe it or not? Do you believe the gospel or not? Because if you believe the gospel, then the truth is that you want other people to know the gospel. You want other people to get saved. It would put a passion in you to say, I want to see somebody get saved out of all of this trying, out of all of this effort, out of, it, it would say, I, you might begin to think, like, I have the ability because the Spirit of God is in me. Because when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. And I am one of those gifts that God has given to this situation with this person. And I want them to be with me for eternity. And I want to share Jesus with them. And I want them to know him. And I want their life to to get back on track. And I want them to have hope. Like, what would that look like? That would look, look like new people coming to faith. It might even look like your marriage getting better in the process. It might even look like your relationships getting cleared up. It might even look like you being able to take time off. It might even be able to look like that. That's the vision. That's that's the vision. But what's the barrier? What's the barrier to that vision being carried out? What might be holding us back? You know, the, the elders, we were all talking at this retreat just the other day. And we talked a lot about how just since the very beginning of the church, there were three three things that we typically hit on, and I mentioned it earlier, money, sex, and power. That these are the idols of our culture, that somehow they're not the only ones, but many of the things that we're into and the things that distract us from God come down to those three things. But as we've been going on here, and and really we come out of the pandemic and everything is just kind of weird. There's, there's this kind of like, man, the things that we used to teach to don't seem to be completely connecting with people all the time. And what is that? What, what, are, what are we talking about there? And so we read a book by Mark Sayers called A Non-Anxious Presence. 
And one of the ideas in there that Mark Sayers talks about is this. He says, you know, there's, there's an era, and that's a time period, where it's a group of people and they kind of all react similarly. They act in, in a similar way. But as you go along, like things begin to change a little bit, and things are changing progressively. They're progressively changing. Like morality is kind of slipping more and more. There's, there's kind of more fighting. There's kind of more stuff. And then all of the sudden, everything changes. And we're changing into a new era. But what fast-forwarded that was the pandemic. And what happened in the pandemic is this, is that everybody had a lot of time to sit and think. Everybody had a lot of time to, to reevaluate their life. Everybody had a lot of time to just sit there and say, do I really want to be all about these things? Do I really always want to be stressed out about work, about money, about whatever it is? And many people made a new decision. They said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be stressed out about that stuff. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer going to do that. I want to be more about taking some time off, being more about my comfort. And then there were some other people that, that kind of hit the ground running. Or they just, they, they go, you know what? I'm going to be, oh, I'm going to go after something even harder than I am today. I'm going to go after everything that I want. I'm going to go reach my goals and I'm going to make that sale and I'm going to get that girl. I mean, whatever it is that they were going to do, they were going to go after it. And so many of those people are really into the hustle, going after whatever it is that they want. They're hardworking. And both of these things are comfort and overworking tend to be our two idols. And so we, uh, we were talking about this as, as elders, and then I, my, I called my wife to tell her about what had been happening in our, in our um, elder retreat. She said, that's so crazy, because there's this article that I just read, and uh, it's, it's really along the same lines. I said, that's, that's crazy. And so we read this together as an elder team, but I wanted to share a couple things with you. This uh, author, or actually two authors, uh, write this article called How Comfort Culture and Hustle Ideology Fill the Meaning Gap. As we've gotten into money, sex, and power, it's like, man, those things, they, they make terrible gods, and I just don't, I don't like them, so I need to find a new God. I need to find meaning in life, and so here's this meaning gap. And so these authors say, by comfort culture, we mean Netflix binging, online gaming, Hours of Candy Crush. Who is doing that, by the way? Anybody want to raise their hand? Like that's, I, don't, I don't even know what that is. Uh, scrolling Instagram reels, fantasy sports, self-indulgent Amazon sprees, foodie culture addiction, all comfy couch consolations to fill the meaning gap. I feel that a little bit. I feel that a little bit, especially as it gets dark and the weather is cold. I, I, I feel that where it's just like, man, I, I just need something to numb my, my incessant kind of like buzzing in my head. I just, I just, I just want to like numb myself with just watching a, a show or watching a movie. I just, I, just, I just need comfort. What's the barrier to this vision of a church that's on mission and a church that says, I want to be a minister of the gospel? Well, the barrier can be this. It can be, you know what? It can be about my comfort. 
It can be about like the idea that like I had all of this time during the pandemic and now I want to keep that time. And so I'm just going to disengage. I'm just going to disengage. And I'm just going I'm, I'm not going to get involved in things because I don't want to be uncomfortable. But then there's also this what he calls the hustle and grind ideology. And he says by hustle and grind ideology, we don't simply mean hardworking lifestyles. Rather, it's the ide ideology of pursuing a future version of the self, tougher, harder, more successful, more complete through relentless self-improvement. It's so, like, like there's these polar opposites. There's these polar opposites that are, that are, that are happening here. And these opposites are like, I'm just all about my comfort or I'm just all about the hustle. I just work hard and I, and I do this and I do that. But both of those things end up being the idols of our culture today, I think. They end up being the thing that keeps us from doing the very thing that brings about the greatest sense in our, in our, in our life of accomplishment, which is glorifying God with our life. And it's because of this. It's simply, I just don't have the time because I'm either all about my comfort or I'm all about hustle. I'm all about one of those two things which really end up being the one and the same. And if I were to engage with the church, it would just be uncomfortable for me. Because I even get comfort from working super hard. Like when I go to work and I get a ton of stuff done, like I did the other day, I come home and I'm on cloud nine. I got this done, I got that done, I got that done, got that done. Man, I feel so good. When I come home and I feel like I got nothing done, I feel terrible, I feel awful, because I suffer from it too. What is Jesus' invitation to you and I through this passage? Jesus' invitation to you and I is to enter into the discomfort. It's to enter into being uncomfortable. What, what, what's he say? He says, leave your nets, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I want you to drop what it is that you're doing. I don't think Jesus is saying, never fish again to these guys. These guys had a specific call in their life for sure. I think what he's saying is he's saying, I want you to be willing to give up work. I want you to be willing to give up hustle. I want you to be willing to enter into discomfort. And why is that uncomfortable? It's because, man, if I follow Jesus in that way, then I'll be less in control. I'll be less in control of my income. I'll be less in control of, of uh, what I do day in and day out. I won't be able to make myself feel good by, by overworking. I won't be able to make myself feel good by just sitting and just being comfortable. What else does he say? In Matthew 10, 21, he says, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. That guy walked away sad because he had lots of stuff. What's Jesus' invitation? Enter into the discomfort. Take the risk. Walk into it. Why is this passage difficult to obey? It's difficult, difficult to obey because we have dual idols of comfort and idolatry and, and hustle idolatry. And it causes us to say, I can't engage. I can't engage. Then Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, if anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's Jesus' invitation? Come and follow me. Like, drop it. Come and be uncomfortable. What's that look like? It might look like entering into a community group. It might look like joining Equip, which is our essential training program that's really based on this passage. It might look like you getting trained a little bit, growing in your faith and just going, you know what, I've been giving all of this time to my own pursuits. I've been, I've been giving all of my time to whatever it is, my, my hustle or my comfort. And now I want to give some time back. It might even look like you saying, you know what, I feel like there's a ministry that's missing at Outward Church, and, and I want to I help start something like that. It, it might look like all of those things. But for sure what you find out is that when you come to Jesus, he says this. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You come to him and, and you enter in, you enter in to relationship with Jesus, and it's uncomfortable. Why is it uncomfortable? Because when you come to Jesus initially, what you have to acknowledge is this, is that I am, in a, I am a sinner in need of God's grace. Like, I am not perfect. I'm not just good enough, and so God decided to save me. No, it's, it's that I have all of these problems, all of these sinful attitudes and actions, I'm, it may be that you're prideful because you aren't as sinful as everybody else or so you think. It may be any one of those things, but you come to Jesus and you lay out your sin before him and he says, I'll take that and I'll go to the cross. And he went to the cross with your sin. You come to him and it, it is uncomfortable to reveal yourself and say, I need a savior. The next step is into the context of the local church that says, that says this, I'm going to be uncomfortable for the sake of my Savior because he was uncomfortable for me on the cross and well beyond uncomfortable. That's, that's what he, he is. That's what he was for you and for me. And so the gospel motivates us to not just be spectators in the local church. The gospel motivates us to become ministers of the gospel. And so I just want to ask you, I don't want this to be a guilt-inducing thing. You may feel guilty. That's not my purpose. I just want to say, do you want to grow? Do you want to grow in your faith? Have you been stagnant for a long time? Are you just beginning in your faith and maybe it's, it's time to take that next step? This is what Outward Church has been built on, is around this idea that like when we, when we train people for the work of ministry, the body of Christ is built up. So I want to tell you at the top of the year here, that's what you're being invited to. And to be honest with you, there aren't enough roles in the, the church today to fulfill every one of your giftings at this moment. 
But that's what this is about. It's figuring out, man, what has God called you to? Let's put you in that area. Let's, let's put you in that place. So I invite you to that. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for uh, what you've called us to. You've called us to discomfort. You've called us to, to respond to you, to respond to your grace in this way. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we haven't responded to you and the ways that we are, that we are not connected. And Lord, I ask that you would, that you would bring about a deep connection with the local church. Lord, I pray for those that, are, that, that long for community but don't yet have it here at Outward. Lord, I pray that you would enable them to be able to get plugged in. Lord, I know that there's so many people in this room that are just, they, they're, they're saying yes, their hearts are open to this. And so, Lord, I, I just ask that you would fulfill every desire uh, for good in their life. Lord, I pray that you would move in their hearts, move in their ministries, move in their families. Lord, I pray that we would set aside the idols of comfort and hustle. And Lord, that we would engage um, with your local church. It's in your name.